to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disasters, leadership, management, COVID, business continuity, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community plan for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, I'm, uh, well, first let's remind everyone how much of an avid reader I am. I love to read everything that I get my hands on, magazines, newspapers, uh, all kinds of books on different topics, I, I for entertainment purposes, everything. And Today's guest has actually been here before, and we've talked about some of his previous books. We've actually talked about, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, managing projects, managing projects in trouble, and the uh, other one we talked about was political risk management for uh, the global supply chain. Right. So I'd like to welcome back the author of his latest book, Management Lessons from the Great Explorers. Ralph Kleem. Ralph, welcome back. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Alex. I know, I think, what was this? This is the fourth time, right? Or yeah, the fourth, fourth time. Yeah, fourth time. So, you know, I'm going to skip right over the biography part. People should know who you are by now. You know, <laughs> the positive <laughs> times. Positive. Yeah, yeah, it's positive thing. Yeah, but all positive, of course. <laughs> so let, let's jump into this because I thought this was uh, really good. And uh, funny enough, as I read some of this, uh, it took me back to some of my uh, high school days, you know, um, in history class and talking about, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that explorer. But my first question for you is, what prompted you to write this uh, about explorers? Well, that's a good question. I uh, actually have always been interested in history and I read a lot of things like you have. And I've traveled. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I've written a lot of books on project management. I've got a lot of history background and political science uh, and have experience in, in somewhat in politics and just love history in general, military history and explorer history and political history and all that. But I, you know, when I thought, what can I do to merge project management, business continuity and history. And I have a library, you know, it's not as big as Hemingway's, but it's, it's large and mostly history, science, and uh, um, politics. And so uh, I said, what, what could I write about in a way that would merge all three? Well, I didn't talk too much about politics in this book. It was mainly history and, and project management and management based upon my experience and also my military experience uh, mm -hmm. that I went in some of the conditions like some of the people that were described related to the Arctic 
and the Antarctic. And so I figured, what can I write? How can I take this and gel it all together? And so uh, what I did is I said, well, I'm going to write it about explorers. So I wrote a proposal to the publisher, CRC Press. And I said, I'd like to write a book and I have some insights on what people in management and project management uh, can learn from in terms of that they can apply on their job. So I don't subscribe to, and he didn't really say it this way, but I think it was uh, Henry Ford that said history is bunk, but he didn't say that. He said history didn't really relate to him on what he did. But uh, I sort of look, look, look at what Santianas said, and he said uh, that um, ba- basically he who does not learn from history is destined to repeat it. And mm-hmm. maybe paraphrasing it. So I thought, I'm a big believer in history. We can always learn something from it besides just learning dates. And, um, and so that's what I did. And I applied it in this book. It's really good. Congratulations on the book. Uh, oh, thank I, you very I enjoyed much. it a lot. And I do find the topic of lessons learned uh, rather interesting right now because we are coming out of COVID and a couple of years of lockdowns. There's all kinds of lessons to uh, learn. And, you know, there you'll, you've got all kinds of people who say we should have done it this way, but mm-hmm. you don't know until you actually do it. So let's learn and move forward. So I think the the timing of this is perfect. And yeah. especially uh, I think it's, to me, it was more relatable because when you're talking about the great explorers, you're not talking about politicians and people that are in the news right now who, you know, say one thing, do another and all that kind of thing. So when they talk about lessons learned, you never really know what they're actually talking about. Mm -hmm. So I, when I read this, I went, now this is something that actually relates, you know, real lessons that make sense with great examples. Good. Yeah. And now, and I wanted to emphasize that because I don't, I stay away from the political aspects other than the fact that, you know, they, um, some of these guys were scoundrels. Uh, so, I, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to name any names. If we want to bring that out, we can talk about that. But they did do things that we can all learn from in mm-hmm. a positive sense. And because we can't change history. What happened in the past has happened. But uh, uh, I think it's good lessons learned, as you say, lessons learned for what we can apply for the future. And you have, uh, it was about 13 or 14, 13, I think, key lessons. And then you talked about oh, yeah. some of the, uh, a couple of explorers in each chapter. Right. So what we're going to do today is I've chosen, uh, what was it, six of them? Yeah. Six of them, because um, I don't want to give everything away. I want people to actually get a copy of the book and oh, do some learning and reading. Um, we're going to talk about six of them here. And I'm just going to mention what the lessons learned is. And then uh, Ralph is going to give us some examples and uh, you know what we could learn from those explorers. Right? You're all set for this? I'm ready. Let me have okay. it. First one, have a strong sponsor. Well, I, you know, one of the, the, the people that I use in an example, and I know he's controversial now because of what happened in the past, was Henry the Navigator uh, from, uh, from Portugal. Portugal was a relatively new country at the time. And uh, Henry the Navigator, um, his, uh, his father was the king, uh, King Zhao the first, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And um, he, he laid a lot of groundwork for subsequent exploration. 
And what made him a good sponsor was the fact that um, he provided the resources and sufficient resources way beyond that for exploration on the West Coast of Africa. And, and, and so what prompted him to do that, of course, was Spain was, an, I mean, Portugal was a new country. Uh, Spain was pretty much Mediterranean and he had the Muslim, Muslims. And then he had the Italians uh, pretty much uh, controlled the spice and for instance, in the gold trade. And so what you wanted to do is, what he wanted to do was to break that, that nexus there that was controlled by those three groups. And so he, he financed a lot of um, um, explorations. Now, how he did this was he sent up uh, sort of like a research and development center um, in Portugal, as well as increased the, um, the shipbuilding industry there. And of course he went west and went uh, down, down, um, down through the African coast, as I mentioned. Now, um, he was, he made, speaking of lessons learned, he brought people um, back to his so-called, I'm keeping it a high level terminology, um, uh, research and development center. And what he did was he, um, he captured information. Now, even though he incurred, you know, captured lessons learned, that's the term I wanted to reuse, like you mentioned earlier. So he captured that. And the interesting thing about him, even though he was kind of, you know, spreading Christianity and doing all this thing and waging war against uh, the Muslims, what he, he did do is he did work with Muslims, uh, people from the Jewish community, uh, not just from Portugal, um, uh, not just Christians, but people, Italians, all sorts of people in that time frame, and extracted the lessons learned. And he capitalized on that, on that and moved forward with his explorations. And I thought that was, I wish more project managers and managers would do that um, in today's contemporary environment. They don't. A lot of reinvention at a wheel always occurs mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the business environment, which is costly and it's time consuming. Well, it's interesting. He brought all these different groups together. That's kind of like uh, a little bit of stakeholder management. Even yes. if they were, even if they may not have been stakeholder management, you were reaching out to get information, you know, but managing all these different groups and getting their learnings yeah. so you can take and, back and, to make something better. Right. And if you can look at him as the stakeholder, which that's how I view it, and then you had the explorers that were going out there, they were sort of like the project managers, right? Mm -hmm. And program managers. And they were going out uh, down and down to the West Coast of Africa. And uh, he capitalized on that in terms of knowledge. And, you know, he also dealt with a lot of, um, it's kind of weird. One of the things I learned in research, he combated this. He was a good stakeholder. He dealt with a lot of project or explorers fears and that going through down into the continent, they were afraid they were going to catch diseases. But one of the things that I thought was interesting that I never, never thought about this a lot of the explorers felt that the compass was satanic. And, 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 and yeah, it was like really? they were afraid of a compass. So, you know, they always followed along the coastline. Mm -hmm. and that was the safest. And there was a cape 
uh, I think uh, Bojador uh, off of Senegal, where a lot of uh, a lot of explorers were afraid to go go around because it was a dangerous area until he pushed one of his explorers to go further out west and then come back along the coast. And so he was, he was really kind of um, progressive for a stakeholder. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. And a good sponsor then. Yeah. <laughs> so have a strong sponsor is lessons learned number one. Right. Lesson learned number two rely on data and information. And you kind of kind of touched on this one a little bit. Yeah, uh, data and information um, in terms of Henry the Navigator or anybody in general on the Explorers, just to follow up on your question. Oh, you pick one. Oh, okay. Well, I think there, there's <laughs> plenty of them. You know, one of the ones is, uh, that I thought was very good is... Um, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark in the Lewis and Clark expedition. Mm. Uh, they were, uh, during their exploration across going through the Missouri River and up the Mississippi and then down the Columbia, or across the, down the Columbia, even though it ran uh, parallel to the Canadian-U.S. border, so to speak, is they had to adapt. They had some information, but they really didn't know much about the Louisiana Purchase Territory that they were going to explore through. And so uh, they did a lot of planning. They collected as much information as possible uh, from what they did know. And when they went in their expedition, uh, what they did was they talked uh, to the Indian population, the different tribes to find out as they went along. They also uh, talked with traders, uh, fur traders, for instance, um, and, and got information that would help them to navigate the rivers. And when, you know, when they got to it, like, uh, um, you know, there's two rivers, they split off and you got like a dilemma. They talked to the, the Indian tribes, the relevant Indian tribes about it to get the information they need. It was, it was very good. And, and of course they went across, they knew what they were told, what they would experience. And uh, they bought from the Indian tribes and uh, what they needed to do to uh, conduct the expedition. Now, it was not without trouble. And they had a lot of problems like all of these expeditions did. Um, and so I think uh, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, uh, you know, they, and his crew that supported him. I, I may be wrong, but I think it was about 30 people. And they were, um, you know, it, they... They took information, they questioned it. Um, so you just don't want to collect data and information. You got to, well, data is raw, right? Information mm -hmm. is of value. So they took the data they got and then they turned it into information and they verified it uh, through the different tribes they dealt with. So that was very good too. So they, they took information that they, data that they gathered, talked about it with other people to make sure this is correct. So they were, kind of, they were validating right some of the information they got, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe I gave too much data and information. I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> so that way they were able to move forward. And uh, I, I know I heard stories. It's read something years and years ago. And you, you're going to tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, no. but that, um, when they first started, they heard stories or whisperings about some big ocean on the West. Yeah. Some big sea 
which is one of the things that kept driving them. Mm-hmm. Is that is, is that's that true? Yeah. That is true. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you know another gentleman uh, that uh, I thought always been a is controversial, of course, but has always been a, um, a a man that I've always admired was um, um, uh, James Cook, the explorer, mm-hmm. British explorer. And he was good on um, obtaining information, data and information, built on it. He talked to others. He, he, he consulted with his crew a lot of times. A lot of, when I say crew, I'm talking about his other officers or uh, senior, uh, senior seamen on, on, on the ships. Uh, so he was uh, pretty good in terms of getting, collecting data and information. And he built on data and information that he collected from his previous voyages. And I thought that was pretty admirable uh, about uh, Captain Cook. Uh, and he went he, around the world. Again, but, you know, what's that? And he went around the world, but had a terrible death. Yeah, he had a terrible death. Um, um, I hate to say it. I was born in Hawaii many, many, many years ago. But, uh, um, but yeah, it was tragic. And, uh, but there was some, you know, I can understand how the Hawaiians on the big island got kind of upset because, yeah. um, you know, the, his crew got a little carried away, which was unusual for him, by the way. Yeah. Uh, his crew usually was pretty disciplined. And uh, it was only on the third voyage. And there's some speculation his temper might have got over, uh, he got over control by it. But that's a side note. So data and information is extremely important, but you got to cross-check it, and and that's that's key. Uh, I like the the validating the data that you receive to get useful information. It reminds me a little bit of what we're going to talk about for lessons learned number three, which is apply risk management. Yes, and some of that stuff that Lewis and Clark were doing, validating their information was a little bit of risk management because they were walking into the unknown. Yeah. And to a large extent, Alex, these, uh, these things are like Venn diagrams. They kind of overlap, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The ones that you chose and also the ones that are not reflected in, in in our discussion here, they all kind of overlap like Venn diagrams. So to have good planning, you got to have good data information, good risk management. You got to have data and information. Uh, Good Mm -hmm. sponsor helps too. Uh, so uh, these all kind of interrelate. Any examples of an explorer who really exemplifies risk management? Uh, yeah, I let's see here. I mean, there's so many of them. I I would say, um, well, I mentioned James Cook because he actually uh, he really prepared for his uh, his explorations. Uh, and he was a, um, um, you know, it, 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 he um, he knew the terrain when St. Lawrence, you know, St. Lawrence Seaway. And uh, but the guy that really did good risk management that I thought was superb. And I, I would say um, I'm looking at the names here. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm sorry about that, but, uh, and I had a, a check. Oh, Ernst Shackleton, Ernst Shackleton, uh, another well, Anglo-Irish gentleman. He, 
he did risk management, but it was risk management to a large extent. I mean, he did risk management by selecting his crew. He picked his own crew, um, which a lot of project managers don't get that choice, or even managers uh, uh, don't get, they got people that are already there and they got to work with, right? But he had the opportunity uh, to, um, he got, he got, the vessels that he needed, the vessel he needed, the endurance, right? And then he got the, um, uh, he had the, he got all the supplies he needed. He got, he knew what he needed because of previous expeditions that he, he had two other previous expeditions, expeditions that he worked with, uh, that he learned from and worked with uh, Scott on the expedition. Uh, and um, which didn't go well, by the way, in the relationship there. But he was, uh, he, he planned this out pretty good and still things went awry. So you can do project management, you know, you got the, the what's the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, the unk unks. <clears throat> and, and, and I know they made it something about a secretary, not getting political, but a secretary of defense mentioned unk unks in the U.S., and it was like it was a new revelation, but yeah. you know that's been around for uh, for a long time. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But um, so he, as he went along, he he weighed the risk on um, what he had, where he tried to get to, which is eventually uh, um, down to the whaling station where he went to um, off of Antarctica there, right? And then and, and I think it was. Off of Strumbos, the Strumness Bay, uh, which was a whaling station there, but he um, he actually used risk risk management pretty well, and he had to readapt because the risks change, right? And mm -hmm. so when 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 the, the ship, the endurance got crushed, and then he had to his people were on a flow, and the ice drifted. And then he was constantly adjusting based upon the risks that were he faced at that point in time. Uh, anybody wants to learn about risk management and leadership as well, read about Ernest Shackleton. Because he didn't have very good leadership ability when he was young on the earlier ex expeditions, uh, and, but he matured and learned a lot. So it's, he's a good example. Captain Cook's a good example too, but you know, he's, He's premiering everything, you know. So. Uh, that what you just said about you know, younger days not being so good at leadership, it, instantly Winston Churchill jumped into my mind. Oh, you know, in his early days, he made lots of mistakes, bad mistakes, you know, and people suffered. And then World War II came around, and all of a sudden, he was almost a different man. Yeah, well, Galapagos yeah. was a famous example of where he mm -hmm. where he had his as. I think he was like head of the naval or something. I don't know. Yeah. But, he, uh, um, but yeah, we all, well, I used to tell my dad when he get to my age, you know, he say, I, say I, made, I made so many mistakes. And I said, well, dad, when I get to be your age, I'm going to be very smart. Because <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes. Too. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, me too. And I will probably continue, you know, but uh, the trick is to keep learning from them and, not make the same ones again. Exactly. So, exactly. And that's what all these explorers mm -hmm. did. You know, most of them yeah. had previous experiences and they capitalized on their mistakes. Yeah. 
So we've come to the end of our first segment, and I just want to recap the first three lessons learned. Have a strong sponsor, rely on data and information, and apply risk management. We are talking with Ralph Kleem, the author of Management Lessons from the Great Explorers, and we will be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Not enough women are talking about money. Lisa Chastain is aiming to change that. If you are feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become more capable with your financial choices. Listen in and hear stories from other women on how they tackled their financial challenges. You will learn from leading industry experts all the tips, tricks, and advice that you need to establish financial confidence and freedom. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Ralph Kleen, the author of Management Lessons from the Great Explorers, his new book. And uh, I just want to recap our first three lessons learned. Have a strong sponsor, rely on data and information, apply risk management, and now let's start with number four, adapt to changing circumstances. Well, uh, you know, um, adapting to changing circumstances is the life of everybody nowadays, right? And so uh, both in business and in private life because things are changing so dramatically. Well, these explorers uh, that I'm going to talk about briefly, I've already mentioned their names. 
Uh, there are two prime examples of that. And uh, the first one, of course, is Meriwether Lewis and uh, William Clark. Talk briefly about them as they were going through uh, from one side of the continent uh, to the other side. Uh, they, they dealt with all sorts of changing conditions. They went from it. Just for an example, they went through um, um, relatively pleasant weather to very harsh weather up in northern Idaho to Bitterroot Mountains and Montana up there, all the way to Columbia, down the Columbia River. And, uh, and then they settled in Oregon um, at Fort Clout Stop or something like that, if I pronounced it right. And it's... Um, they had to adapt. They they got low on food. They got they dealt with uh, some of their consuls, which was uh, were set up to try to get the uh, Indian tribes to all work together, which was no easy matter. And for the most part, it didn't work. Uh, mm -hmm. And then they had to adapt to dealing with the Sioux Indians, and and all these presented challenges. And they had to adapt on on how they dealt with those type of challenges. And it was extremely difficult. Uh, the other one is, of course, Ernst Shackleton. Uh, again, he dealt with a, a circumstance where the endurance got crushed, right? And then he had, he had his crew. And basically, the bottom line was, is they, uh, he had to take that crew. They went through a lot of morale problems. They went through, there was um, hostility, anger was erupt. And having led troops up in the really cold winter Alaska uh, many years ago, uh, it affects people's uh, attitude and their morale. And there's always this tension. And so uh, I can only imagine uh, how Shackleton dealt with uh, the difficulties dealt with because you know the dark nights for long mm -hmm. periods of yeah. time can really affect people and so it's a it's a tremendous challenge and he had to adapt to uh, to get from point a to point z to get these people risk uh rescued and it was uh so he had to adapt to those changing circumstances too now another another gentleman and and and, and i didn't put it in the last chapter but it comes to mind is Hernan Cortez. Now, he was a perfect example of, you know, not the most gracious fella in the world. I guess. He was actually gracious back in that time and very intelligent and was a, quite a risk taker, but he was very brutal, right? And everybody was motivated in those days practically by the three things of God, gold, and glory, right? And so mm -hmm. he was after gold. So they were all after gold. And uh, so, uh, but he had to deal with all these tribes again, right? That in, in Mexico, um, as, as I'm using Mexico now in the context of, of, of the name today, right? Uh, and so there was a lot of tension there. He had to deal with hostile tribes, Getting, a, getting alliance with some of those tribes because the Aztecs were very brutal on some of those tribes for sacrifices, et cetera. But he had to adapt as well uh, during those, those circumstances. And that took a lot of skill. 
and it also took a lot of uh, uh, moxie uh, to go for where he went. Now, he had to go of getting gold, but, uh, you know, he was willing to do what he had to do. Plus, he had the governor of Cuba after his butt, too, because after he sent him off, you know, the governor of Cuba, that I picked the wrong guy to go on this expedition and um, knew he couldn't control him. So, uh, so Cortez adap adop adapted well. Another guy, and I thought was very highly of, is uh, George Vancouver. And, uh, and of course, George Vancouver, where I live, is an esteemed uh, gentleman out here. And he adapted extremely well. Back to, I just mentioned a side note, the data and information he had to deal with was very limited. And he did an outstanding job. Uh, and of course, George Vancouver learned his lessons, I guess, dealing with Alliance when he served under James Cook. So anyway, um, <clears throat> back to the uh, adapting, uh, those three gentlemen uh, were, uh, um, I think, good examples of how to adapt. So if you want to learn how to adapt, those are good examples. Uh, because you got to think sharp. And anybody who's managed projects or managed groups, uh, they know they know they got to adapt because nothing stays static. I was just going to say that, you know, the only constant is change. Yeah. You know, and I've worked on a lot of projects in my lifetime. That I don't think any single one of them stay true to one plan. Yeah. <laughs> Things happen all the way along. <laughs> so, but we used to say in the Army, there's a difference between being flexible and being fluid. So mm -hmm. flexible, you know, you can change and adapt. You're still focused on a thing. Fluid, everything just goes in different directions. Yeah, wherever it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go to um, lessons learned number, what's that, five now. Identify and understand stakeholders. Well, I had a number of uh, <clears throat> explorers under, the, under that column. Uh, the one that I'd like to emphasize, I think, you know, some people would argue whether or not he was an explorer or not, right? But in a way, he was, and that's Marco Polo uh, from Venice. Uh, um, he, 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 he knew, he learned and adapted along the way. But he, the biggest thing that I was impressed with is he was willing to learn about the lose because the customer is a stakeholder, right? Yeah. And so he willing to learn about the Mongols and their culture and in the people within the uh, Mongolia, uh, Mongol empire at the time. So he would work with the Chinese because, um, um, who were under the purview of uh, Kublai Khan. And he was also a, um, he learned her language. And so, you know, it'd be an interesting, I always laugh because you get technical people together, IT people, for instance, not picking on, because I was an IT guy for quite a while, <laughs> is they would get with the customer, the business customer, and throw out a bunch of jargon. They didn't even know what they were talking about, right? And <laughs> I've been I, in those meetings. <laughs> yeah. And the one that used to scare me was their turnkey. You know, we're building a turnkey system. And of course, the customer always goes, hey, you know, I can press all the buttons I want. So anyway, um, the, uh, so he knew what's, what's, what's of interest to them. And, and I know the travels with Marco Polo, it came under a lot of suspicion at the time that he made this up while he was in prison. He, he, he recited it. Uh, he didn't actually write it. He had a ghostwriter and that wrote the book Travels with 
uh, with Marco Polo. And, but he learned a language. He knew things from the perspective of each of the customers. He knew their, uh, everything from their food. He studied their food, what they ate. He knew how, you know, uh, sexual mores and morals, uh, how they treated other people, their views of the world, perspective. He was actually um, very receptive, and that gained him the confidence of Kublai Khan. And so Kublai Khan trusted him immensely uh, because he was able to stay away from the internal politics, too, uh, of um, uh, identifying and understand stakeholders. I think uh, two other character gentlemen, I should say, that were had a failure of really understanding and appreciating uh, the um, the customer, uh, the stakeholders, uh, was of course Vasco da Gama. Um, he came in, had a host of trinkets and everything else, and then he went, you know, South Africa, the Cape of uh, Cape of Good Hope, I think it was. Yep, Cape of Good Hope. Yep. Yeah, and he went around South Africa, and then. Um, uh, then he met a, a whole different clientele, so to speak, of stakeholders. And he was giving them trinkets and beads and hawks bells and everything else. And they were going, whoa, what is this? He didn't, he didn't understand them. And these guys, you know, they're, they were Muslim. I'm surprised he was, he just didn't have the, uh, the, the trinkets, so to speak, that they give. And they were all disappointed. And then he went to Calicut up there in India and that caused uh, a big uh, challenge in terms of what he had to offer versus the expectations of a, the guy was called a Zamoran, which is sort of like, a, I guess, a version of a soul or close to it, right? So there was a lot of uh, hostility, uh, disappointments uh, that led to problems uh, with that. Uh, and I think the lack of appreciation of those types of stakeholders is very uh, very uh, uh, can cause problems. So is that, like trying, about, is, is that like trying to treat all stakeholders the same? Yeah, which, I, I would which not, is not the yeah, same mistake. Exactly, they're not all the same. And in, in the business environment, I, I can speak with a lot of um, credibility on this: is that not all state customers are the same, and especially if you're doing a cross-functional program, uh, like I. Uh, that manage uh, for uh, for the company I work for, and uh, you get all these different groups and departments. They all have different interests. They view things differently, and they don't gel. Like he assumed, uh, Vasco da Gama assumed that uh, when the when they some of the Hindis came aboard, they they got on their knees in front of the, the statue of Virgin Gold Statue of Virgin Mary. So he assumed right away that they were all Christian. Hmm. So, you know, it's things that don't let your prejudices and don't let your biases overcome you. And I, and I talk about that in the chapter. Mm -hmm. so that's one of the lessons. Now you said there was a third one. Oh, I did. Okay. <laughs> let me, uh, <laughs> you, know, let me, um, you know, I don't want to over talk it, but uh, you know, George Vancouver was an excellent example. And I don't think I didn't mention him. I mentioned who did I mention else? Well, you did touch on, on him um, and you mentioned that he, uh, I guess, studied would be a word under yeah. um, oh. Cook. Cook, yeah. But, 
but you didn't really get into okay yeah. so how did he uh, oh he was, he was actually initially uh, up in alaska and he was with the, the spanish um, uh, the guy that was in charge up there he had he, he kind of dumped on the, the, in, the indian major indian uh, i believe a chief up there in the nuka sound area and and so but he was able to work with the spanish and then he started working with a lot of the, uh, what I really found remarkable is he went down and he became, he got the confidence of the Hawaiians when he went back down there because he knew, I guess, from his experience with Cook, uh, because he escaped and he almost got killed himself uh, down there in the big island there uh, with the Hawaiians. Uh, but he knew and understood them and he, be, he was, had a very good relationship with King Kamehameha uh, 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 over there in uh, Honolulu, uh, Oahu. And uh, so he was, um, he had a good understanding of the different cultures and was willing to learn about them. He understood them. And he did not like uh, the traders, uh, T-R-A-D-E-R-S, how they treated Hawaiians. And he, he went after him up in Alaska. And hmm. uh, so he was, uh, um, he, he understood, he understood the, the culture. And he worked very well with the Spanish when there was a lot of tension that existed. Of course, the communication was distant for a long, you know, long time. I mean, it's not like we have today. We're instantaneous. Right. You know, we get information. Is so, uh, I, I kind of know the answer to this, but I'll ask no, him for anyone who might be wondering: Is Vancouver Island named for him? I believe so, yeah. but I you may know. Is that true? I believe. It I is. don't know that, but <laughs> I'm I, trying to remember my history, and I believe that is true. Yes. Yeah, and so anyway, and he named a, a whole host of stuff around up here in the Northwest. You know, he was he got around Mount Rainier, Mount Hood. Um, he did a lot of exploration. Uh, and in fact, if I recall correctly, he actually put more uh, nautical miles than Captain Cook did. Uh, oh, wow. I think, I think uh, that's what I read. I don't know how true that is. But uh, hmm. um, he was a remarkable guy. I was quite, actually quite impressed with him. He was a strict disciplinary, but he probably got that from Cook when, he was, when uh, Vancouver was a midshipman on, uh, mm-hmm. um, under uh, Cook. So. so that's lessons learned number five, identify yeah. and understand stakeholders. This last one, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Okay. Lesson learned number six, and I hope everyone's listening to this one, be willing to say no. That is very hard. And I can tell you, <clears throat> um, I paid a price for it. Uh, and I worked. I, I And it, and. That's what came to me. I thought, well, what can I learn from these guys? Uh, because I, went, I had a, a very major project and it was, I was set up for failure. And I said, this is not going to work. And I said, I, I don't, I don't want to be on the project uh, unless I get these things. And, and I got my, what I wanted, but it, it, um, but it, it led to some hostility. And, and it will. I mean, no matter how you phrase it, right? But it's an ethical responsibility, right? For, as the project management tells everybody, you <clears throat> should say no. But 
without coming, but you have to come back with a counter proposal. You just don't say, no, I'm not going to do it, right? So the two gentlemen that I think stood out, and the first one, that took a lot of guts. And I think is Jacques Cartier. And Jacques Cartier was, of course, from St. Malo in France. And he did a series of expeditions famous for, uh, you know, the, uh, the St. Lawrence Seaway mm-hmm. uh, up there. And uh, he, he, he worked very well with the Indian population in general. You got to remember that there was some controversy, all these explorers with the native population. And, and so um, there's always going to be some tension, right? It's different cultures, different people, different views of the world. And, 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 but it was his third expedition that was really fascinating because he sent, uh, was it Charlebourg Royale um, uh, it, it, up there in Canada, had a settlement. So anyway, remember. <laughs> well, I'm wondering if I'm pronouncing it right. Well, that's where he set up the, uh, I think it's by uh, Montreal, uh, but I may be wrong. Um, I have to look at my notes, but he, he set up the, uh, a settlement. He did some things like put up a cross, which really offended uh, a lot of Indians because they were saying, hey, this might mean conquest, right? And so, and so he went over on his third expedition and it, of course, this time the third one he didn't, but the king had Francis the first had gold fever, so he wanted to get gold and gems, and those type of things. And so what happened was he had a, uh, Jacques Cartier did not. He wasn't the top guy. He had a, a gentleman named Roberval. Or, or Roboveva, I can't, you know, it's French. Sometimes you take off the last consonant, right? And uh, he had a conflict with him. And, uh, and so Roboveva said, you go on your own. So that's where uh, uh, Jacques Cartier um, went there and set, put the settlement. Well, the Indians got hostile. And then, uh, of course, um, Cartier said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stay here. This is dangerous. It's, it killed too many people at the settlement, and they came back, and he was going back to France. Well, he, I think it was around Newfoundland uh, that he met up with Roboval, and then Roboval said, you need to go back, and you're going back with me. Because uh, he was a typical, I won't say the typical s- senior guy that said, you go mm-hmm. do it, I'll come at and But he never shows up until after the action. And then you shoot the guys that landed on the beach, you know, that didn't make progress. So anyway, and, and, and Cartier said, I'm not doing it. I'm going back. And that's it. And so that's what happened. So he said no. And actually, he came out ahead. And Francis still liked him because he was politically connected. Uh, and so that's the other. And then the other one um, is, again, um, Ernst Shackleton, but he was able to do some, uh, say no in a different way. He was able to say, no, we're not going to pursue this further because he was the guy that was responsible for the expedition, but he knew it was in danger. So he didn't pursue going to the South Pole and endangering all these people. He decided to turn around and move uh, and get the people back 
to safety, so to speak. So that took a lot of courage to take his ego out of the situation where he didn't want to endanger his people. Uh, so we only have uh, three minutes left. Do you have any final words on uh, lessons learned or anything you'd like to convey about some of these explorers that you write about in your book? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, just from, a, from an explorer standpoint and also from a personal standpoint, all these, most of these gentlemen uh, that they all had challenges at first and they learned from their mistakes and they learn from their experiences and they applied them, uh, applied that knowledge to future endeavors. And they, they recognize some of the things uh, that, that can cause problems on their projects. So experience and, is very valuable and we all make mistakes. And these gentlemen all made mistakes. And, and to a large extent, some of them were, had mistakes uh, on their last voyages, Christopher Columbus, for instance, uh, or, um, um, well, James Cook. So that's, uh, that's my biggest takeaway. I would say, uh, you know, learn, create your own lessons, learn, and just capitalize on it. Well, we've come to the end of the show, but before we go, I want to recap our lessons learned from, from you that you have in your book that we talked about uh, over these two segments. Lessons learned, number one, have a strong sponsor. Number two, rely on data and information. Three, apply risk management. Four, adapt to changing circumstances. Five, identify and understand stakeholders. And finally, number six, be willing to say no. And in your book, there are another seven, but I'm not going to give them away. People have to read the book to find out what those other seven are. Um, with some uh, more great examples that you write about. So, Ralph, thanks very much. I really appreciated this, and congratulations on this book. It's a great read. Well, thank you very much, and I, I hope it's a value to whoever reads it, and that's the important thing. Well, uh, like I said uh, before we actually started recording today, it took me back to some of my high school days in history class, and it was like, wow, I remember that. Oh, yeah. And so, I uh, that in itself was a great learning experience as well. So um, congratulations. And, uh, you know, we look forward to the next book because I know I've had you on before talking about other books. So you'll be back again, I'm sure, for a fifth. Oh, fifth I'm sure. When, you know, whenever. <laughs> You're pleasant to chat with. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't get that said very often. But <laughs> Thanks very much, Ralph. And everybody listening and watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.